Wednesday Live. I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to the show. Today, our future interview is with Gavin Wilson, who's the Asia Pac MD for Cradle Point. We're going to be talking about uh, LTE and 5G for enterprises. It's an interesting topic, not one that we canvas much. So, looking forward to that. We'll also be talking to Simon Ducks about what's happening to some $90 million that's been advocated for regional connectivity. And also some interesting new trends in ribbon fibers. First up, we have the executive editor of Comms Day, Rowan Pierce. How are you, Rowan? I'm good, Graham. Well, um, first up, you you had a uh, a, a great story in Comms Day this week um, regarding the chief marketing officer of Telstra, who I guess he expanded at some uh, length on the strategy behind what Tils was doing with its marketing. Tell us all about it. Yeah, it's quite interesting. So Jeremy Nicholas um, was a the, the Telstra CMO was a speaker at Salesforce Lab, and he actually had a few interesting comments about what the um, what the telco has really been doing to really better employ kind of the masses of first party data it has uh, when it's interacting with customers. So it's really um, he kind of explained like it's been working on developing what's called a, a single view of its customers. So whether you're interacting with Telstra in store or online, they have a real picture of you know your history and all the kind of relevant in- information about um, both your your products with them and also your service history. So a couple of interesting things, he, um, examples that Jeremy gave. One was, you know, uh, about being able to kind of suppress marketing messages to customers. So for example, if you've just suffered an NBN outage, then it's probably not a good idea to try and sell you on a new service. Another kind of hypothetical example he offered was like, you know, if you're in a 5G area, like it's just been switched over to 5G on your handset's been hitting that kind of base station like 50% of the time or 40% of the time, then it might be a good opportunity for Telstra to offer you a 5G capable handset. Um, so the, the whole thing kind of really fits in with them um, with the T22 strategy and, um, you know, Telstra both... Um, like uh, uh, simplifying massively their product lineup, really from like 1,800 plans or so down to 20, which makes it a lot easier to kind of develop like a holistic view of uh, individual customers um, instead of dealing with all that complexity. And also, as part of T22, they've also moved to you know modernize some of their systems, like move to a new CRM system in the form of Salesforce. Okay, uh, still on Telstra, um, as um, our keen readers may recall. Telstra's been at loggerheads with various local councils for years now um, regarding uh, the extent to which it can leverage its payphone infrastructure to do new, different, and in, in council eyes, unacceptable things. And uh, there was a uh, court verdict this week that didn't go very well for Telstra. Tell us about it. Yeah, so this is a... <laughs> it's like... I. It's a weird feeling when really. it's like this story's been kicking around since like 2019. I've been writing about it since then. So it's been back and forth a couple of times. So originally it was a conflict between Melbourne Council and Telstra over Telstra's new payphone cabinets and whether they can be considered low impact facilities. Um, at the heart of the issue really was like Telstra kind of uh, slapping ads on these um, uh, payphones and you know Melbourne, Melbourne arguing that these are basically like billboards that are kind of exempt from its planning regime so I wasn't very happy with that so originally back in 2019 it was headed to um, the Victoria Civil and Administrative Tribunal at the time though Telstra said it was going to seek a federal court ruling because that means it's going to be nationally consistent 
So went to federal court. Brisbane and Sydney councils were also parties to the case. And Telstra actually won that case, but then it got overturned on appeal by, um, by Melbourne and Brisbane. So what's happened now is that Telstra has sought to have the high court step in, um, which is pretty dramatic step, I guess, in, in legal terms in some ways, and, and overturn that appeal. But the court actually declined to kind of hear the matter. So it is a bit of a blow for Telstra. But at least it's, its kind of reaction was at least it's got kind of clarity on the issue. And it can still it can still roll out the payphones. It's just like a, a bit more of a kind of hurdle for, um, for it to leap, really. I think the other th- interesting thing about this is like the kind of broader context of like, you know, the 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 ground is set for more of these conflicts between um, Telstra, well, or telcos in general, and councils over um, particularly five G infrastructure. We've already seen the governments kind of trying to walk a path between them on the case of like powers and immunities for the five G era. So, I, I I doubt this is going to be the last kind of conflict in this kind of area. Yes, and of course the councils don't necessarily have pure motives here because in, in some cases. That they, they want to utilize their own street furniture for some of the same types of digital and, and advertising purposes. <laughs> they just simply don't want Telstra as a competitor. But anyway, on that note, thanks very much for joining us today, Rowan. Cheers. Well, you're listening to Comms Day Live, and uh, our feature interview uh, this week is a fellow I've been wanting to talk to for a while, Gavin Wilson. He's the Managing Director, Asia Pacific of Cradlepoint. Um, and of course, they're a very, very interesting company in the mobile space, and, and uh, we'll get in deep into what they're all about. Welcome to the show, Gavin. Thanks, Graham. Good to be here. Okay, now, Cradlepoint specialises in LTE and 5G solutions for enterprises. It's a very interesting niche can you tell us the attraction about this market and a little bit more about the history of Cradlepoint? Yeah, sure. Um, and look, great point. It, it was a niche. Uh, I actually think wireless is the future. And to me, that's the attraction of this market. You know, not too long ago, we were talking on telephones that were attached to walls with curly cables. Now, most of the population can't even remember that. And I think enterprise networking is is going to go the same way. So, Cradle Point, uh, our business is built on that premise that wireless is going to be the future. We specialise, as you say, in 4G and 5G uh, enterprise wireless networking. And, uh, and, and without a fixed connection and a reliance on that f- fixed connection, we can connect people, places and things anywhere. Um, and so a bit about Cradle Point, uh, to answer your question, Graham, we've got a, a global customer base now of around 25,000 business and government agencies. We're growing rapidly here in APAC as well, uh, which, by the way, we headquarter out of Melbourne in Australia. We've been operating since 2006 with our headquarters in the US in Boise, Idaho, and we've been in Australia since uh, 2016, in fact. Uh, And, yeah, the attraction of servicing this market, well, as I said, wireless is the future, and the thing is it's beneficial to, to every business and every vertical. Now, I want to um, look at a specific example of how you apply that in practice. Uh, Just last week, uh, Cradlepoint made an announcement about edge routers for fecals. That sounds quite fascinating. Can you explain how that works and what this entails? Yeah, well, you know, we, as you say, we just launched this new 5G edge router, uh, the R1900, and uh, 
And simply it represents the culmination of all our uh, experience in being the world's first. So as you may or may not know and your listeners may or may not know, we, we launched the world's first enterprise-grade 5G solution in partnership with Telstra in July last year. And, you know, we learned a lot of things about being first, about, you know, signal strength and antenna placement and, you know, the different uh, associated factors with increased increased uh, download speeds and lower latency. So this new device uh, is actually built with those learnings and is actually for, for vehicles, so putting 5G in vehicles. Uh, and it's a secure, ruggedized uh, endpoint that, quite frankly, is going to transform a lot of businesses with that capability at the edge. And of course, this is the latest in, a, I guess, a series of products that you've been releasing of that nature. Last year, you announced 5G-optimized wireless one-edge routers and 5G wideband adapters for enterprises. Um, that was a while back. So what has the market reaction been to that so far? Um, well, it's been, it's been tremendous. You know, we, we did some research before we went to market with Telsite and we surveyed uh, a lot of Australian organisations and 73% of those surveyed said they planned to start using 5G technology in the next 12 months. So when we went to market, we didn't know sort of what to expect, but we knew a lot of people were interested. So what we have actually seen is an incredible take-up of businesses looking to find their use cases and apply the new technology to transforming their businesses. So the pandemic as well, Graham, has been a, a real catalyst. So people that have, you know, not really considered wireless networking as enterprise-grade or using it in their corporate WAN or corporate network um, have had to use wireless networking. You know, you can't set up a mobile distribution centre or, a, or a, you know, a COVID testing site, you know, anywhere without, you know, wireless connectivity. So anyway, businesses having to use these, uh, this, this, this wireless 4G and 5G have now started to say, well, actually, we can use it here, then we can use it over here. So the, the take-up has, uh, has been incredible. Um, the, the government as well, the federal government, is, as you probably know, has, has, has seen the, the potential benefits to the economy and have uh, and offered these grants uh, offering, you know, significant sums uh, under this 5G innovation initiative. And uh, we've seen a lot of uh, end customers and our partners as well in the market take up uh, the opportunity and su- submit proposals. So, there really is a, a growing focus on the potential benefits of 5G uh, to, to businesses. And I think a lot of businesses are starting to realise uh, and have realised, in fact, that if they don't get ahead of this, then the other their competitors will. Uh, and I sort of look at 4G and 3G. Um, you know, when 4G came in, uh, just one example of the industry transformation, the, the, the taxi cab and rideshare industry changed Fundamentally, and, and that could not have happened on 3G technology. It needed 4G in order to marry up, you know, the, the, the driver, the passenger, the mapping, all in real time. Now, the difference between 3G and 4G technology is, is not that great. The difference between 4G and 5G is, is huge in comparison. So every industry is going to get disrupted, much the same as rideshare and taxis. We don't know how yet, and... All we know is it will happen. So 
as a consequence, a lot of businesses are sort of grabbing onto this new technology and working out how it's going to work and affect their businesses. So you make, you make an interesting point there that 5G represents a quantum leap over 4G. But of course, one of the issues right now is that 5G is not available you know, pervasively in, in the way that 4G is. So is, this, is there still a benefit in jumping to 5G right now while those rollouts are still conducting or, or are still being conducted? Or is there a benefit in waiting, for example, until, until that reach is greater? Really good question. And it's a question that probably every one of our customers and partners has asked me. So um, firstly, back, back to what I was talking about before, I think the weight incurs a cost and there's a lot of benefit you can get from learning, particularly if you haven't used wireless networking in your corporate uh, setup before. Um, getting an understanding of, of how the technology works and how it can be deployed before everyone jumps on, I think will be useful. But secondly, uh, the rollout is going fast. And yes, you're absolutely right. There are pockets of 5G yet um, and, and there are pockets that aren't, that aren't covered. So um, a lot of use cases that depend on scale, for example, you know, whole wholehearted branch or site rollouts across a, a full network aren't going to happen, but rarely do they happen all at once anyway. Um, so, again, businesses are, are taking advantage of, of where they can use it now, learning about the technology and then planning to roll out in the future. The last point I will say, and probably the most important, though, is there are use cases that businesses are taking advantage of 5G technology right now, uh, you know, irrelevant of, of how far the roll, rollout is going. In fact, one example is a, is a company, an Australian company called Taylor Construction, um, and they're sort of an innovative company anyway, but they're, they're exper- experimenting with uh, interesting new applications to their business. So, for example, uh, on-site visualisation of, of plans and on-site adjustment of building plans using, you know, 3D and, and AI uh, or VR type technology. Now, they can make use of 5G in their in their experimentations. They're getting sort of 20 times the performance of 4G connections. So they always knew that they wanted to try this technology out. They saw a business benefit, but until now they haven't been able to do it. Uh, and so, yeah, those sorts of applications businesses can make use of now. Uh, and uh, and Taylor is just one example. There's a great video. In fact, you can uh, Google and download. You know, Taylor Construction you know, cradle point and you'll see uh, exactly some of the use cases they're looking at. So, yeah, long answer to your question, Graham. But, yes, the rollout is, is, is happening and, yes, it will affect some use cases, but people getting in now is, is a great benefit and there are actual use cases that you can make use of now. So what would you say to customers who feel that 5G is perhaps a little too much for them and they just want to stick with 4G for now? Yeah, great point and great question. We... We actually talk about the pathway to 5G. For, so for those customers that, that haven't got access to 5G and but know it's coming and want to get experience in wireless WAN and what it can do for their business, we have some great, and the carriers as well, offer some great 4G products. You know, Gigabit LTE now, we, we, we provide customers and, and you can do an awful lot of things with Gigabit LTE and get experience in wireless networking. And then when 5G is ready at your site or you're ready to adopt it, you can make maximum use of it. 
Okay, now I'm interested in how you're taking all this to market. My understanding is that um, you're operating a partner program and, and also a specific 5G partner program as well. Yeah, sure. So we do, uh, Cradle Point is a, a channel business. We market and, and sell through our, our, our partners, uh, you know, carriers as well as, uh, as other partners. But um, with 5G particularly, um, we've decided to augment our partner program with with what we call a 5G specialised uh, partnership. And it's, a, it's a, 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 an encapsulation of some of that experience I talked about before that we've uh, obtained in, in being world's first because there are a few things that are different. And, and so our partners are getting uh, some training, some IP, uh, some experience around uh, implementing 5G such that they can take it to market really quickly. Uh, and so, yeah, we've got a few partners already in, in Australia that have passed through that certification uh, and are implementing uh, with that experience in Australia. But uh, as I say, it adds to our existing partner program and, uh, you know, it's a suite of tools and, and education and training um, around, uh, around deploying 5G in the real world. Okay. Now, tell me a bit more about yourself, Gavin. How, how long have you been with Cradle Point and, and what were you up to before that? Yeah, well, um, uh, it seems like a long time. I'm so enmeshed in Cradle Point, but I actually started when we started here in in Australia uh, back in 2016. Uh, and before that, I was working for uh, you know big corporate telcos, uh, Hewlett Packard. In fact, at, at Hewlett Packard, I was uh, actually building big on-premise IT systems and uh, and and big global outsourcing uh, programs, but. I started to see that the network um, was becoming more and more important. You know, the things I were building were becoming in the cloud and uh, and I didn't know as much as I needed to about the networking. So I joined uh, British Telecom and, and then Singtel and, and really started to learn about the network and uh, and its its relevance and increasing relevance to, to enterprise networking. And I saw my old business sort of disappearing to the cloud, but the real strength and real importance is this network. And so it's a, it was a great segue to Cradle Point because Cradle Point, we, we, you know, we provide that, that resilience, that, that connection that should you lose a fixed connection. Uh, if you're a, a retail shop uh, out there, depending on now your direct to cloud application, you, you absolutely need a network connection. So, uh, and that was sort of the foundation of our business here in Australia, providing that uh, that resilience, that that failover and backup. And now it's moved into into primary networking. Now that the the, the wireless networks of uh, of our carriers are so robust that you know people don't need to wait three months for a fixed connection to roll in. They can just deploy uh, an enterprise grade faster, often than NBN connection uh, with with wireless now. So uh, so that was my journey. Graham, uh, I've, I've been, I'm a convert to the network side of the business and I love it. How terrific. Okay, well, for those listeners who are coming to the Comms Day Summit on May 4 and 5, you'll be able to hear Gavin speak or see Gavin speak as well at 3 p.m. on the first day, the 4th of May, Tuesday. So thanks very much for joining us today, Gavin. Thank you, Graham. Been a pleasure. Day Live, and we're speaking now with Simon Ducks, the Chief Editor of Comms Day. Welcome to the show, Simon. Hi there, Graham. 
Okay, first up, um, big announcement from the federal government uh, last Friday regarding regional connectivity funds, about $90 million or so. Um, except there wasn't necessarily a lot of detail in the, uh, in the, in the original statement. T- tell us what was there and what we've been able to subsequently find out as well. Yeah, that's right, Graham. Uh, when we were having a look at uh, some of the information, uh, we realised that uh, all we had was a headline number. So we did some digging and uh, we were able to ascertain the fact that uh, MBN and Field Solutions Group managed to secure the bulk of the uh, funding that was available, essentially. MBN Co has uh, just got a shade over 30 million for 16 projects in a number of states. FSG uh, gained around 20.5 million to do 12 projects across five states. A lot of them were uh, particularly for FSG building out um, deepening relationships in Queensland, New South Wales, where they had existing network. But interestingly, they also uh, got some funding for Northern Territory and WA as well. So uh, MBM predominantly uh, had their projects in uh, Victoria uh, with six, uh, four for Queensland, two New South Wales, and then uh, the rest spread uh, per state uh, on the back of that. And uh, when we uh, spoke to Andrew Roberts about it, uh, he was suggesting that he's going to be able to use the funding to build shire-wide coverage in some very large uh, footprint shires. And uh, some of the funding, for example, uh, he had uh, previously won some cross-border funding between Queensland and New South Wales and uh, had been building a network on both sides of the border there. And the new funding is going to allow him to do a similar thing uh, sort of along the Murrumbidgee area uh, between uh, New South Wales and uh, Victoria as well. So they've done really well out of the back of uh, uh, the funding. We uh, Interestingly, we uh, dug a little bit more and you came up with some uh, interesting uh, pieces around some of the uh, detail uh, that wasn't in the uh, headline uh, and uh, going around the various uh, state projects, we're able to glean the fact that uh, many of these uh, network investments are a mix of funding. So you're getting uh, a number of people uh, coming in uh, and potentially uh, co-funding, whether it's uh, state uh, regional funds, uh, plus also uh, some interesting vendors. Uh, to give you an example of that, uh, we saw um, Nokia pop up uh, as uh, one of the uh, partners, and uh, that was in um, uh, the area around Gerildery, uh, Coliambali, I hope I got that right, Darlington Point. And uh, essentially, uh, they were working together with uh, FSG, uh, obviously the federal government, Murrumbidgee Council, and a couple of other um, businesses as well. Uh, so you're going to see some mobile data, more than 3,000 residents and 430 uh, businesses in that region as well. Uh, South Australia government uh, was top, uh, providing top-up funds, 2.5 million for within a uh, switch-up project. And Far North South Australia Regional Connectivity Program, uh, that was uh, they were adding into the tune of uh, 4.5 million. So it's uh, quite interesting. And one uh, that uh, fitted in and caught our eye as well was uh, Maranoa, uh, which is a huge uh, area essentially, uh, and that's. Um, uh, Nationals Minister and MP for Marino was David Littleproud. So in his area, they've got uh, nine projects, 
with 12 million in revenue and uh, sorry uh, in funding I should say and uh, included in that is some uh, fiber to the premises uh, technology in uh, uh, Alpha and 2 million uh, for the same in Surat and these are central Queensland uh, towns that um, uh, I think that's going to go down pretty well. Yeah, that's um, a very good sum up there, Simon. Just just a point on on how it was announced. Um, as as you pointed out, there's not much detail in the minister's uh, press release on Friday. What I discovered subsequently was that evidently the local members of parliament who are receiving the funding for their electorates were sort of devolved the power to disseminate more information according to their judgment. So a lot of this detail popped up in local regional newspapers dotted around the country um, sort of over ensuing days after the announcement. And and I think that's a sign of um, local politics at work. Um, you know, a, a press gallery type announcement uh, doesn't necessarily give you as good a run as, as a local member's lecture officer touching base of a local newspaper editor. And, and I think that's a little bit of a sign here of how this announcement is viewed, that it's very, very good electoral politics. Of course, it's very, very good for the beneficiaries too, because in some cases you're looking at subsidies that amount to over $1,000 per head of population in some of these small towns. So it's a certainly, you know, no, no one can say that Christmas doesn't come in April, because it does for some people. Anyway, um, moving on, um, let's change the topic entirely to... Um, the, the world of ribbon fibres. And you had an interesting chat this week, Simon, with um, AFL Telecommunications, who, who were talking about some of the uh, quantum leaps in what ribbon fibres are capable of these days. That's right, Graham. We're into the murky world of dark fibre, and uh, you probably need to put some echo reverb on the back of that. Uh, but uh, really interesting uh, innovation going on. And again, it's being driven by the hyperscalers, but it's working right through to actually changing the basic structure of trying to densify uh, fibre optic cable. And I had a good chat uh, with the GM sales and marketing, Dan- Daniel Rose, at AFL, and uh, essentially they're supplying all around the world, um, uh, and including Australia, and manufacturing it here as well, which is a great thing. But uh, they uh, told me that uh, Equinix Australia was the first um, uh, company outside North America that had deployed a ribbon cable with 6,912 optical fibres, all in a 36 millimeter diameter cable, which is pretty crazy stuff. And if you can imagine um, uh, with a traditional cable, uh, the way that these uh, spiderweb cables work, if uh, the easiest way to picture this thing is the sort of lattice uh, foam that you get protecting a lot of vegetables at a supermarket. Uh, it's uh, very uh, springy uh, and it allows you to actually really pack things in together and scrunch and uh, com- compress uh, all of the individual cables on that side. But one of the key issues that they have uh, with um, traditional optical cables, of course, is that uh, when you put these things in, uh, it could potentially take months to uh, terminate and test a 6,912 cable uh, fiber. And uh, he was suggesting that using the spider web. Uh, ribbon technology on a recent project they managed to terminate them in under a week and the interesting thing uh, because hyperscalers are always going point to point it's not such a big deal about having uh, bits splice off uh, because telcos have always been a little bit averse to these 
um, uh, spider webs just because of the fact that, except MBN, I should say, uh, uh, because they are actually using it in some applications. But uh, uh, with the other uh, telcos, essentially, you're going to have to splice all 12 fibers in one go and uh, absolutely no exceptions on the back of that. So because of that, uh, every time that you were looking to drop or add a particular customer or something like that, you're causing yourself quite a lot of network pain uh, on the back there. You could be inducing uh, fault uh, areas and uh, you're going to be digging uh, and so on. But the nice thing with these uh, uh, spiderweb ribbons, if you can imagine that they're sort of uh, joined together intermittently, and then it's much easier to peel off individual uh, fibers and um, you can actually do a mix of that. So, uh, you know, on, on that side of things, it really does depend on how many you want to add and drop. Um, so it gives you a lot of flexibility and also a lot of speed in rolling some of this up. So I think we're going to see the telcos get a little, little bit more interested in all of uh, this. Uh, again, it's the hyperscalers that have driven the innovation, but uh, the whole sector is going to uh, benefit from it. Okay, good stuff, Simon. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Thanks again, Graham. Well, that's it for Comms Day Live this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. See you next time.